Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. For a limited time, Comcast Business is introducing small business savings. Call now to save on powerful internet with no annual contract and a money-back guarantee. Call and start saving today. Comcast Business, powering possibilities. Restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for listening to my season two. I hope you are enjoying it just as much as I am. There are some amazing guests that I've brought and met And I'm so happy that you guys are listening. So I get to experience so much fun with these guests and I get to bring you amazing content and amazing interviews, people who are expertise in their field. This next one that I'm going to be bringing you is probably one of my favorites only because it's one of the ones where I don't even know how to describe it, to be honest with you. We're going to be talking about grief dreams. How cool is that? How cool is that? We're going to be talking about dreams of your loved ones. And we're going to be talking about the science behind all that. And I am so excited to be bringing this to you. Before we get started, I wanted to bring some housekeeping to you guys. If you would be so kind to leave a rating or a review on any platform you get your podcast on, because that's how you move up. And if I am going to be able to bring you better content. I need to move up in the ranks. So I need your help to get there. So leave a five-star rating. And I'm asking for five-star because I am five-star. My content is amazing. And you should appreciate it. I'm just joking. Leave me an honest review because I need your feedback. And I want to make sure that if there's something you don't like, let me know. Um, I can handle criticism. It's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll just cry for a little bit. But uh, I need a rating, a review to get me up higher in the ranks. That would be really, really great. Um, I am still accepting donations to make sure that I have the best ability to give you the best content. Also, Good Grief Jesse merchandise is coming back. I had to tweak the recipe a little bit because I was very unhappy with how the last merch batch came out. So we're going to be changing things up. So Good Grief Jesse merchandise is coming back. So get ready because you're going to have the coolest koozie out there if you get one. But there's going to be koozies, there's going to be t-shirts, there's going to be sweatshirts, all that fun stuff. So without further ado, I would like to introduce... Dr. Joshua Black. Enjoy. And don't forget about leaving me a review, please. I'm begging. Just just do it. Okay. All right. Goodbye. Uh, Today in the studio, I have someone very special that I am literally shaking over here um, that I'm so excited to bring to you today. I want to go ahead and introduce uh, Dr. Joshua Black. Dr. Joshua Black is one of the world's leading academic experts on dreams and bereavement, which are also known as grief dreams. He has focused all of his master's and doctorate's research in psychology on investigating grief dreams and continuing bonds from many types of loss, including prenatal loss and pet loss. 
Most of his academic research and publications have specifically been on dreaming of the deceased. And I wanted to see how you were doing today all the way from Canada. <laughs> I'm doing good. It's really, I'm always excited when I have opportunities to talk about my, my own grief journey and also the research I've done on the topic. So it's always a beautiful moment to, to have, to be able to share and to meet someone new. Yeah, I, I'm so excited for my listeners and for my own personal experiences because I'm ready to share some of the dreams that I've had. And um, I have been listening to your podcast. So for everyone who is just now listening, um, you're going to get the full scope of who Dr. Black really is and all of the work that he's done for this community. So I, with that, I want to go ahead and ask, what started your journey into what you are doing now? Wow. It's a big question because there's two, I can go two different ways, but I'll go with the, since we have some time, I'll go with the earlier one. Yeah. <laughs> and it was more about valuing dreams. And so growing up as a child, I had a lot of nightmares and that's really you know, based on, I think the environment I was in. Um, my dad drank a lot. He had a really poor emotion regulation. And so it was just a lot of, you know, yelling and screaming in the house and in school, it wasn't the greatest thing. And also my mom, she was in and out of the hospital. So it was a very chaotic environment. So I had a lot of nightmares. And then, so when I had these nightmares as a kid, I grew um, my family was very religious. So then they were telling me that it was the devil that was causing the nightmares. And so oh, wow. that made me scared even more. So I didn't value nightmares at all. If I did have them, they're very negative. And so kind of like that was sort of my introduction to dreams. And then um, once I got older, I just never valued them. If I had them, I didn't care about them kind of thing. And then I had this moment where I was uh, dating this individual and she cheated on me. And I went through this really hard moment where it's almost like my, you know, your heart's like ripped out and it's just like being stepped on. <laughs> yeah. And so... I couldn't eat or sleep for like three days. It was the weirdest thing for me because I've never felt anything like this before. And there's nothing I could have could do that was eliminating those feelings. And I couldn't understand them. My, I guess, um, my understanding of just emotions were limited in general, more than because I was a male than anything else. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I didn't know what was going on and I was longing to find an answer. And so it was the first time I actually just like, um, surrendered myself to the moment and just asked whoever there was, God or whatever, to try to help me understand why I feel this way. And right. interesting, I didn't ask for the pain to be taken away. I just wanted to know what was going on. Like that was more that was more my concern. Anyway, that's that's where my head yeah. was going. I was like, you, you know, we to... asked for so many things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just want to just take it away. Um, so, anyways, I went to bed that night and actually slept for the first time in a long time. It was a beautiful sleep. And then I woke up and how I woke up was from a dream and the dream, I'll tell you the dream. So I was running by this stream and I was like a reporter searching for something and it was, it felt like six hours. I was just, you know, going under bridges, you know, going over hills. I was just running and running by this stream and it opened up to this ocean and I was looking around for, for something and I, I see a pier and there's someone standing at the pier. So I ran over to the pier and ran up to the individual. And I was like, where is it? Where is it? As I was longing for this to find whatever I was looking for. And he kind of he turned and with these like very mystical eyes, you know, when people know something, <laughs> they just like, they kind of <laughs> yeah. like exude it from their eyes. And he said, well, it could be over there pointing to the left of the ocean, it could be over there pointing to the right, or it could be over there pointing straight ahead. And then he turned back again and he said, do you know where it truly is though? I said, where, where, where? And he pointed to his mind. And then I woke up like a shot of lightning went through me. And not only did I know the dream had meaning, but I also knew what the dream meant for the first time in my entire life. So wow. I sat there at the edge of the bed and I knew exactly what it was talking about. And what it was talking about was that in waking life, I was pointing to her for cheating on me. I was pointing to him for cheating on her knowing that she had a boyfriend and so I was pointing everything external and that's one way to sort of understand it right like uh, to search for you point outside but the true yeah. answer was actually inside and so it was about the way I 
um, was interpreting the events. And so the way I was interpreting events was bringing out the true pain. And the truth was that I didn't love myself and I needed her um, as a validation that I was loved. And so I sat there just understanding that. And then my next question was, well, then how can I learn to love myself? And so that really got me into a different direction of life where I had a different purpose, a different direction on what I wanted from life. As much as I was into, you know, getting good grades and playing sports and whatnot, my goal right. with that moment on was to learn to love myself because it was the first time I realized how important that truly was. And dreams at that point then started to, I guess, work with me, <laughs> if that's way to put it, um, to help me wow. understand who I was because I had no, as much as I wanted to say I knew who I was, I didn't. You know, like there's a lot of things our mind portrays, a lot of beliefs that we have that are even our own. And a lot of fears I had from just growing up We and from the way people taught me, I feared different things. So it was a really very difficult, but very uh, rewarding process of trying to figure out who I was and sitting with yeah. the, the truth of what I was finding and then working with that, that truth. And then, so I always had that. So that was my goal moving forward. And then within that time, um, my mom and my dad separated. And then the three years after that initial dream, my father and I started reconciling our relationship or I'd say two years. Um, we started actually talking and we had a, I said like a strenuous relationship throughout our entire life. And then after the, the separation happened, we actually started becoming, I guess, friends for the first time. Like he dropped the role of being a father and wanted to more just be a friend and try to understand who I was rather than try to like yeah. teach me about the world. Like, <laughs> like he was, yeah. you know, like he was like dropping back a little, dropping a step back and just like being who he was. He was. And he was actually a really nice guy. He's very funny, which is stuff I never really knew about him before. <laughs> And then a few years after that, that's when he died. And that really hurt and crushed me because of what I always longed for from him as a father was occurred within the last two years. And now that's has stopped. So um, for me, I think that's what I was really sort of um, missing and, and grieving at that, at that point. And in that moment, you know, I was crying. I couldn't get it like, you know, it was grief's interesting. So I started crying the first time since I don't know when, but um, that in itself was an interesting process of just, you know, being okay with crying and not trying to um, push it down. But I was really trying to push it down to like stop it. Because <laughs> so after, yeah, I understand that. <laughs> after, the, after the funeral, um, I was able to do that. And I went back to school and finished, I was in my undergrad at that time and went back to work. And so everything on the outside looked really good. But what was interesting was inside, it was just black and white. Like the way I was looking at the world, all the color came out. And I sort of take that to, because I was so dedicated to try to not cry, it killed my spirit. And so I was basically walking around this black and white world. And I didn't even to like consciously recognize that I could change it. I was just moving through it. And then three months later, I had a dream of my father that changed everything. And so this is when I really realized how important these dreams can be in the grieving process because it changed me. And so the dream I had was I was in my room, I guess I was sleeping, but in the dream I was in my room and everything was the same details it was in my room. And at that time, I had a, I was, you know, there's a lot of clutter everywhere is the best way to put it because that's <laughs> the space I grew up in. So I kind of took that on. I've yeah. changed a lot of my things now, but at that point, but everything <laughs> was in exactly like the same spot that it would have been in waking life, which is I think pretty impressive. And then I saw my dad and he was, he looked light, like the best way to put it. Cause I said he had a lot of trauma, a lot of issues in waking life. So he's always had this like heaviness about him, but he, he looked good. And I walked up to him and I said, I'm going to miss him acknowledging the loss. And I told him that I loved him and we hugged. And I woke up and when I woke up, something inside of me changed and it was like a 180. The color came back. I could feel it. I could feel joy again. I could, I could feel the sadness and the tears again. And I remember sitting at the end of my bed, just thinking, what was that? It, it was so different than anything I've really had before. And it changed me. And it wasn't because I interpreted the dream. The dream itself changed me. And I was just really puzzled with it. And I really kept it close because I didn't want I didn't tell anyone about it. Um, because it was such an important <laughs> moment. You didn't want people, I didn't want anyone to like, change the meaning 
or just change that that yeah. feeling I got. And so when I finished school, um, I was going to be an elementary school teacher, which is what my dad always wanted from me. But I think because he he died, I didn't have that pressure to be that anymore. That's what I'm thinking. But who knows, right? Like at the end of the day. <laughs> right. Who knows? I understand that. Okay, yeah. So then I, I turned it down going in and I didn't know what I was going to do. So I went and I just got some like, you know, side jobs. And I started volunteering with the brief to try to make meaning out of my loss. And that's when I realized how important these dreams are because all the people that was coming into, I guess, my my area or just uh, in front of me, they had these questions about these dreams that they didn't have or that they did have, some with the deceased, some not. And they wanted to know some answers about it. And when I went to look at the research, there just wasn't anything there for them. And so that's when I had a moment where I was like, could I research this? I never wanted to be a researcher, but could I research (laughs) this? And, you know, it took a lot of courage to tell you the truth because, you know, I didn't really want to go that, I didn't want to go that route, (laughs) but I did. And I made it through, you know, with some, a lot of uh, late nights and a lot of support from the world around to sort of keep me moving forward. And, I was able to do the research that needed to be done. And so that's sort of where I really learned the importance of this topic more than just I had my own to what people were asking and also how large this area is and how there's so much bias and misconceptions on the topic. And so now it's just like now you get to raise awareness on it. So it's part of my own grieving process is to be able to not only talk about my own loss, which is always great, um, but to also <laughs> raise awareness on some of the things I've been I've been seeing. And that's helped me a lot in my own grief journey, like listening and, and talking to these people about their dreams. So that's basically the process there. And yeah, yeah now I'm said like one of the leading academic experts. And it's not because I've, I've done a lot, right. a lot of research, but before me, there's only like one person would do one article and that's it. So no one really was in the space saying this is important. We didn't even know if it was even common to have these people to have these dreams. That's how limited the research was. And so now we've answered a lot of those questions. So at the end of the day, it's just like, it, I think it's normalizing the experience more and it's allowing people to talk about it because there's research on it now. Wow. That's, that's really crazy that there was nothing for you to go off of. That's incredible to me. Um, so my brain is, is thinking, cause I, I did some research in college. Um, how do you study and how did you research grief dreams with people? Like what, how did that process go? Well, you sit down and for me, it was understanding what was important for the people, the bereaved that were around me and making sure the research was focused on answering those types of questions. And from there, you sort of build then a study for that. So um, like a lot of my stuff was through questionnaires that people completed and, you know, in there, there's some quantitative questions and some other times the qualitative ones. It's like getting to know, you know what was the dream you had or what was the most important dream or you know, stuff like that to really understand, you know, what those are. And then I would code those dreams to look for common themes and you can score those also with the quantitative data that collected. So like grief scores or, um, attachment measures, all sorts of different measures. I yeah. don't know if I have to go into it all. But yeah, so that, that's basically <laughs> the, the way to be able to do that. Some, you know, like there's other places that, you know, you can do a more case study approach where you sort of, you know, have interviews with people um, right. or understand a culture and get that perspective. But yeah, I sort of just went with the, the easiest method to collect a large amount of data. It was more through questionnaires. Oh, wow. So that, people were actually willing to talk to you about their dreams when there was no research on it. That's, that's really incredible to me. Well, I think people had these dreams, but because no one asked, people thought they were more rare and insignificant. And so I think people just in general will answer questions if you ask them, but you just have to ask the right questions. And for this, what was great about the studies that I've done, that it wasn't a dream study. So when they came in, they didn't know I was going to ask about dreams of the deceased they thought it was a grief study. So it allowed for a better representation of what is actually going on because people aren't just going in because they want to talk about their dream. So in, in general though, like, which is really good because in the said the results are just more generalizable um, to the public. But what we found anyways, for sort of how common these dreams are um, when looking at spells of loss within the first year or two, 86% of people had at least one dream of their deceased spouse or partner. After pet loss, it was 
78% within the first six months. And then after miscarriage, it was 57% within the first year. And so these are huge numbers for us to know really nothing about it. And then there was one study that was done um, with children and they found it was 55%. So there seems to be a lot of people having these experiences, at least one of them. Um, But yeah, we just don't know much about that. And so that in itself was a very important first step to understanding the significance of the topic and for people to take it more seriously when they sort of teach it. And so in thanatology or in like grief counseling, like it's something that needs to be talked about so people know that they can ask about the topic. Yeah. Now, not all dreams are positive experiences. Um, <laughs> just like you, I grew up kind of uh, in a rough environment and I had lots of nightmares as well. When I lost my dad, I didn't really dream about him until I lost my brother. And in every dream I had, I always knew that they were they had passed. And um, they weren't positive experiences. Um, and I wanted to go ahead and see if we could talk a little bit more about, you know, what would you say to somebody or, um, you know, what kind of research you've done with negative versus positive dreams and experiences? Yeah. Yeah. So when collecting the data, so we got the large numbers of how many people experience at least one dream. We also asked, were these dreams positive or negative? And we gave sort of some context into like what that meant. And so what was interesting, so I'll give you a backstory just about dreams. So dreams in general, um, yes. yeah. <laughs> so dreams in, dreams in general, um, people have about two or three a week, just on average. And they tend to lean to more uh, negative dreams and content, just because a lot of people mm-hmm. go to bed either watching negative content or reading the news or just yeah, like their own emotional true. states is stress for the most part. <laughs> and so that, that, yeah, you're right. <laughs> that creeps into our dreams. And so after trauma, our dreams are more consistently negative. So within grief, one would expect our dreams also to be very more negative than usual. And what's really interesting and still don't fully understand it, but when the deceased is in the dream, the opposite is true. So it's more likely people are going to have a positive dream of deceased than a negative dream and by a lot. So when you look at the, the data from all different types of losses I talked about, what's interesting is you'll get like very high percentages instead of around like up to 90, like two of them were like 90% had these very positive dreams of the deceased and only about 30 or 40% had a negative experience with the deceased. And what's interesting is that those who had a negative experience also tend to have a positive dream also. So there tends to be this almost like drive for these positive dreams to be occurring within us um, or for us to just remember those dreams more often than maybe the negative ones that may be occurring. We're just not remembering them when we're waking up. And so like that's the one of the biggest things. And we're like, whoa, this is going against traditional dream research. And so there's something different going on in how these dreams are functioning in our lives as humans. And I can see this is probably why a lot of people will then jump to say, oh, it must be a visitation because it's just so different. Um, I can't go there. I don't know. But what I can say is that they are different (laughs) and they feel different to a lot of people. And when you look at the negative dreams, we looked at sort of what factors may be impacting that. So relationship with the deceased is one of the factors. So if you had like a very negative relationship, you may just be having negative dreams just because that was the context in which you knew the individual. But for the most part, it's um, the trauma. So if you're suffering um, unresolved feelings of guilt or blame or trauma, you tend to have more distressing uh, dreams. So which which makes sense with with the research. And then um, the theory goes that as you work through your, your grief or your trauma and stuff, then the dreams will change to something more positive. Um, we haven't really seen, we haven't done the longitudinal study to really look at that, but that's the theory because negative dreams are tend to sort of happen with also these positive dreams. So we're thinking that maybe the negative dreams happen more earlier on, and then they, um, then later on the positive dreams would occur. So there's still a lot to know, but it, we do know that they are acting differently and functioning differently um, than typical dreams. That's, I mean, 
This is so interesting to me. I, I love it. And I had to ask my friend for permission. Uh, my friend Haley is uh, very empathetic. And she she's lost grandparents um, and her husband lost uh, his father. But she's never personally lost someone really extremely close and immediate to her. Mm-hmm. But she's had a lot of dreams about my family. Cool. Uh, very vivid. Um, uh, it's very strange, and I wanted I wanted to know if that was if that was common. If you if you had any research on on other people having dreams being visited by other people, like I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that is I've heard this many times, and this is one the other thing that really makes you sit in the mystery of these dreams and what's actually going on. Sometimes people will be having these dreams. Of people they knew, right? So they've had like encounters with them, um, and sometimes those dreams are just dreams with them. Other times, there's messages that the deceased provide the individual to give to someone else that's in like their life. So a person may have, let's say, your friend may have a dream of the deceased telling them to tell you something which is phenomenal, like, just really interesting in, in, in general. Other times, yeah, yeah other, other times people will have dreams of people they didn't really even know. I remember talking to this individual um, on, one of the, on an interview that I was doing, and she said she had this dream of this child, and, she knew, and the person knew the child was, was dead, and it was from um, an acquaintance she had, like, in high school, like they're on Facebook, like she saw that the child died, but that was it. Like there wasn't really any kind of emotional connection there. She didn't go to the funeral or anything. Like they just really weren't friends. And anyway, so she had this dream of the child basically saying, you know, tell my dad that, you know, I'm okay. And, and, you know, and there's some other stuff in that. And then, so she woke up and she's like, should I like contact this guy? It's kind of weird. Like we haven't chatted in like 20 years. Like <laughs> to say I had a dream with your son. And so she went back and forth and then she asked her colleagues if she should do it or not. And they all said, no, they're going to think you're crazy. And so anyways, she couldn't get out of her mind though. So finally she just messaged them and basically said what the dream was. And um, it's okay if you you don't get an answer back. Anyway, she she got an answer back saying he was looking for a sign. He hasn't had any dreams of a son. And he was looking for a sign that he was okay. And that was the sign. So it was really interesting on, you know, who has these dreams, who doesn't, but also the, how these dreams can actually impact people's relations with one another, how they can help people throughout the grieving process in many ways. Um, but yeah, that is something that I do see. It's not as common as having your own dream, but at the end of the day, these moments do happen where people have these dreams for other people. And that is its own thing. I, said, I, I, don't, I don't know why that happens, but I can see the beauty of it and the beauty of sharing those dreams with the individual. And a lot of times when those people have those dreams, um, what I've heard is the people that they're sharing it with haven't had their own dreams. And so it tends to be something that is needed for that person um, in one way or another. There may be stories out there that have went horribly wrong, <laughs> but uh, from the ones I've heard anyways, they had very positive outcomes. Oh, I, I love that. Because she, I was really kind of distraught a little bit because she would have these beautiful dreams of my dad and my brother and I had just my brother my brother overdosed and it was a really sad situation and every dream I had he was just very gray Mm -hmm. just very sad and he was such a fun loving person like he had such a personality about him and it was just really disheartening because it was he passed away six years ago and it wasn't until I had an experience with a medium where I, it was my first experience with one. And I don't know if that's something that you um, <laughs> believe in or not, but she relayed a message to me mm. about uh, my brother and how he, he wanted to apologize to me mm. um, for, for leaving me. And after that, in the dream, he was more fun and it was um i finally was able to rub it in her face you know i was like i had a good dream about my brother (laughs) but i was i was getting like a little upset that she would you know she'd call me and she's like okay there was like this beautiful pillars that were white and and i'm like 
he was just moping in the corner in my dream. Like, what the heck, man? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just, it wasn't fair. Um, <laughs> but yeah. what I think would be worse is not having dreams about my my loved ones and my deceased loved ones. Um, so can we talk a little bit more about people who haven't experienced dreams of their loved ones? Yeah, of course. I first just want to mention, you know, I'm said sad to sort of hear that the dreams were not positive. And that's always hard because when someone is working through their grief and they have one of those dreams, it just triggers more sadness as you move forward. Yeah. And can, it hard. And it can make it exactly. harder, right? And then you have the questions on why. Why is this negative? And then someone else is more positive. And then the theories that we make in our minds tend never to be positive or accurate. And so we just tend to complicate our own grief through those. And so I'm glad you started, you had a positive dream, but it does sort of showcase how dreams can change. And whatever that medium said to you and seemed to have an impact of what dream was, was able to come through. And I'm not sure if it's say like the getting that forgiveness, right, from or forgiving your brother. Um, for what he did or accepting the apology probably would have moved some things a little differently than where you were at that time, which maybe allowed yeah. those dreams to be more positive moving forward. Um, but yeah, so the, there's there's a lot to know um, about the topic still, but it's nice to know that something changed through that moment with that medium for you yeah. to be able to experience that. But yeah, a lot of people get jealous and a lot. that's why a lot of people don't want to ask their family members if they've had a dream because if they haven't they don't want to like say okay well would you like them more and like what's going what's going on here and that's what a lot of people i understand that <laughs> yeah right like no one's it's funny i wish we could all be happy for other people's happiness or <laughs> but it's not the case it's not the case so that's one of the questions that a lot of people weren't having these dreams and they were putting it on if they're spiritual they're putting on maybe they didn't cross over maybe if let's say um, my sister had one, I didn't, maybe he's mad at me um, for something I did or, or didn't do. Um, maybe he just forgot about me. Maybe that's the afterlife. And some people who are just not spiritual still want them because they get to sort of would love to hear them again or relive a memory that they had and see them, which is, you know, a lot of times the last moments were in a very negative point where they're dying again um, or, they're, or they're, they're suffering. And to have like a dream where your last moment now is something positive, I think that would be a beautiful thing just for the, the mind to be able to hold on to. And so, so when looking at the research and seeing what factors predict dreaming of the deceased, so we looked at grief, spirituality, because some people thought maybe it's the spiritual people that are having these dreams um, and the people who aren't, aren't having these dreams. I looked at uh, personality, like attachment, openness to experience, we looked at dream recall in general, we looked at gender, and, um, and what we found was the um, most significant predictor, and it happened with both studies that we did, so it got replicated, was dream recall frequency. And so what that says to me is that people who are dreaming more in general are catching more of these types of dreams. And so it also says to me that people are probably dreaming of the deceased more than they're actually remembering it. So then this goes to the, oh. the function of memory in dreams. And a lot of people, who now come to me and say, you know, why haven't I dreamt of the deceased? I said, well, how often do you remember dreaming in general? And a lot of people say not that bad, not that often. And I said, well, then how are you supposed to capture one of these types of dreams? And so it actually just puts two <laughs> things together and people are like, oh, that makes sense. Like it's something like, well, there's ways to increase your recall frequency. Um, so that's something that just, we don't teach in school. So we don't really know anything much about dreams in school either. So um, right. <laughs> you know, so a lot of people are just left with their own devices, but research has shown that just by valuing dreams, and one way to do it is by keeping like a dream diary, you'll start increasing the amount of dreams you remember each night. Because basically, what you're doing is you're telling yourself that these are important now. And because they're important, your mind starts remembering them. And so that's a really amazing thing. But I always caution people if you're in the grieving process, you're probably going to have a lot more negative dreams that you're going to remember just in general. But yeah. even those shouldn't be, you shouldn't be afraid of those because there's a lot of information in dreams that really tell us about what we're working on while we're sleeping and things that we can then do to help ourselves as we move forward uh, in waking life. Because you can really pinpoint issues. And if you're 
working with a counselor or therapist, they can sort of see some themes within your dreams that can help them on maybe where they should target. Because if your mind's working on it, I mean, if they, they can help that out um, moving forward. So that's, so that's the biggest thing is just understanding that, you know, these dream recall is such a significant predictor of having these types of dreams. And there is 10% of the population that doesn't remember dreaming in general. So even, so that's going to be harder for them. It's just, you know, yeah. people are different. We're made differently. Um, and we have different varieties of people. And one of those things is some of those people just don't um, remember those dreams. That's not part of their human experience. So they'll never be able to capture one of those dreams. But for everyone else, it's highly likely you're going to have one of these dreams at some point. And it's always interesting when that is. Some people, it's right away. Other people, it takes a year. Like, And other times, it takes a little bit longer. But um, I've seen some amazing dreams. And I really hope you know, people do have a lot of these positive dreams, but if they do have negative dreams, it's just understanding what it, what it can represent in someone's wake, waking life. So for one of the most disheartening things I, I hear a lot of times is that when someone has a negative dream and they're spiritual, they sometimes will take that as a haunting. So it's the spirit haunting them. Oh. And that's just, you oh. know, like people, it's like people have a hard time using discernment on if they are spiritual, when is a dream visitation versus when it's probably based on trauma um, that they're working through. Um, so that's always great to be able to try to explore those dreams with the individual to sort of showcase maybe some of the things that maybe they're not working through in waking life that they could. So that, I mean, that is, hmm. So, I mean, that totally makes sense that people who can't recall dreams would think that they haven't been visited. Um, now, how would you kind of guide someone through interpretation of a dream? Um, I know that everyone is different, yeah. but I I know a little bit about how you would answer this question, but I want to I want to share that with everybody. So how would you help somebody interpret a dream? Well, it's an interesting thing because every dream is a little different and every dream is really based on the person's own experience. But because I've had so much experience looking at these dreams, you can I can definitely see what's different on these dreams versus other dreams I've had. And because so many people came on my own podcast where they talk about the dreams, you tend to sort of understand how the dreams are relating to loss. So I tend to have an idea when someone shares, maybe some of the questions to ask the individual about either the loss or what they're working through. Um, but for anyone else, it's just like you start at the emotions of the dream is the way I would, I would go about it. And you sort of see how that relates to waking life. And then you try to connect then the symbols through that. It's probably the easiest approach. It doesn't work at all the time. But a lot of times, too, these dreams, because the, if the deceased is in the dream, you would think that it would have to do something with your grief. So it kind of narrows down the focus window of what we're looking at here. Because if it's just like yeah. any other dream, it could relate to anything. You could relate to your job, relate to you know, like, you know, your relationship status, you can relate to your career choices. It could be anything, right? So, but this is really yeah. like, it relates to your grief. So it's like, like, it really hones people in. It's okay, okay, so if I'm looking at my loss, what does this dream, what does this dream represent? And so some of these dreams you don't need to interpret. They're just very beautiful in general. And you can just like take it all in. Like, it's not like someone had a very positive dream that you know, we have to say like, is this a visitation or is this not? Or, you know, this represents something in your waking life. A lot of times I just sort of sit and listen and, and was it comforting and, you know, why was it comforting? I think that's kind of an interesting question to ask. And then sort of just um, sit in the beauty of them having that experience and what that means to them as they move forward. Because everyone's interpretation is a little different when it comes to their spiritual beliefs, um, but also just why they value that certain dream. And then also it's just asking questions about the dreams I think is more important on top of that. So a lot of times it's like, what does a dream mean? But I'm like, yeah, you know, like once you get the dream, that's kind of, that's okay. But like, I want to know more yeah. about why the dream, like why now, why the image? Hmm. Because then I'll, and I asked about that. So like, why are they wearing, like, so a lot of people don't ask me, it's like, what was my dad wearing in the dream? It's a great question to ask, but hmm. no one ever does. And so my dad <laughs> was actually wearing <laughs> a um, busted up beer t-shirt that like a Labatt, sort of shirt that you get in a, in a 24 case 
And it was just like, you know, stretched and the collar stretch. You could, and, but like, it's very interesting, but that's the shirts he would normally wear because he would buy so much alcohol, he would just utilize it to then um, get his yeah. wardrobe. Um, so, but a lot of people don't ask that, but that is an important story of how I see my dad and our relationship um, to life. And so a lot of the little factors that could be ignored actually have a really big story for the individual. And so it's not just, you know, like, what does this dream mean? It's like, how can we use this as a tool to explore your grief some more and for you to showcase more of your relationship with that person? And so it turns into a conversation rather than a one-sided dialogue. But yeah, when it comes to the negative dreams, if you know that it relates to trauma, relates to unresolved feelings, guilt or blame, those are the, the big two or even if it's a past memory um, of, let's say, an encounter you've had. Like, so those are the things to really like look at and you can really narrow down the, the thing. So just for example, I had a uh, individual um, share a dream where they, um, the, she was a widow. So the husband came knocking on her door in the dream and said like, oh, I'm not really dead. Um, I've been in hiding, which is common for to, to hear those dreams. Um, but then uh, it goes to this place where she's like, you know, you're such a mean and heartless person. Do something like that to me. I think that you're dead this whole time. And then he says, well, the only reason why I'm back is because I want all the money that you inherited. If you give it back to me, I'll leave you alone. And she's like, no, I can't. I'm not going to do that. And um, and then he's like, well, I want to be back with you. And she's like, oh, I'm not. I can't, I can't, I'm, I'm in a different relationship. And so then he starts chasing her and becoming very menacing. She had this dream very wow. repeatedly throughout her grief journey. And she thought it was a visitation. So she's like, she was very concerned that he was haunting her. But when you actually look at the dream imagery for what it was, the themes are pretty clear to me, right? Like as someone I was looking at it, but you can easily teach that to people. So what's the, what are the major themes going on in the dream? And how does that relate to waking life? So one of them was this money. Like she wants the money back. So what is that even about? So how you just ask, like how is money, um, the money that you inherited um, affecting your grief? A lot of people may not think, oh, I don't know. So when you ask her that, she said the hardest thing for her after the, his death was that she inherited this money and he worked so hard to, to make it. She feels it's so unjust that she's the one that gets suspended. So she's having this, a crisis within herself on accepting this money. And then you sort of look at the next thing in the dream was his partner. She's, he wants to be back with her. And then that's interesting in itself, um, but she can't, she's dating someone else. So when you look at it, she is dating someone new. So it's truth. So what does that mean for your grief? So it's something that you can look at and how is that, how are you managing that? And how hard is it to love two people at the same time? The person who's died and the new partner moving forward. Probably very difficult because we're not really trained how to do that. We tend to close our heart to one to love another, um, but to love yeah. two at the same time. And then how are you minimizing your own grief within the relationship? Because a lot of times when people who have suffered a death of a partner get into a relationship, they tend to close up a lot of their, um, their, their the way they process their grief and the way they continue the bonds. So they may take down pictures or they may like, you know, put them in different ways. So, and cause sometimes a partner doesn't like seeing it. And so there's a lot of complications that people who are starting a new relationship go through and changing the way they um, are coping with their loss because of this new relationship. And so that would be a question to ask. So those two things are core issues that the dream is, I would say, trying to get the person to explore more in waking life because it seems to um, not be fully digested and there seems to be questions that are impacting them. So that, so rather than seeing it as a haunting, one could see it as, oh, these are two different areas I should probably explore more, either with a therapist or with whoever I talk to, to really work through that because it's showcasing that there is these unresolved feelings um, that are just not being processed. And, and once you can do that, well, then you can start having these more positive dreams. But especially if it's a repeated dream, it's really saying that you're really not getting the message. Because if you get the message, you're not going to get that dream again. So, you know, there's, so that's a big thing. And then the other thing I will say about negative dreams that people have is there are ways to work with it. So one is to understand what the dream is representing in waking life and making those corrections or exploring those dreams a little bit more and not being afraid of the dream. Because a lot of times people can get the dream, be afraid of it, and then, they restrict their sleep because they're afraid of having a dream like that. 
And then because of that, they have more of those types of dreams. <laughs> and so um, it's best not to avoid it, but to explore it. And then the other thing too, is that there's this thing called dream rescripting. And so what you can do here is if you have, it works for all types of dreams that can be working um, that people have for children and adults. I used it actually as a kid without realizing what I was doing. But what you do oh. is, yeah. So what you do is you just change the ending of the dream to make it something more positive. Um, or the other thing you could do is add a character in the dream and change the direction of what was going on in the dream. So it becomes a positive dream. So for me, I always had these dreams as a kid of a burglar or someone coming in. I lived in the, in the attic. And so I, I had those dreams too. Okay. Yeah. So I had a, <laughs> so someone would come in and I have to try and find a way out and I always like almost get caught and I would wake up. And so what I would do when I woke up was I then say, oh, I shouldn't take that way. I should take this way. And so I had those dreams all the time. And so my, when I woke up, I rescripted into finding my way out and then it turned into a positive experience because I was able to escape. Only now I know that the burglars just represented my father, right? Just without actually putting my father in the image um, because it was just an unsafe environment. And so it was really, if anything, a survival mechanism to be able to find a easy escape if, you know, things went sour right in the house so um that is so that's so crazy yeah um, so that's just an easy <laughs> way to be able to do that for people because what research has found is that if you take control of your dreams especially the negative dreams if you can redo them in a way rescript them and then think about them so you're not avoiding it anymore those dreams were actually um stop or if you have them you have less distress and distress is sort of the the issue as you in waking life um but what they found is that that by changing those dreams, it can impact your waking life trauma also. So not only your trauma and your grief affects your dreams, but the way you look at your dreams will affect how you process your trauma and grief and waking life and, and how that moves forward. So it's a two-way direction. Oh, wow. That, I mean, I can't, I really can't get over the fact that I, I my, my biggest nightmares as kids were, uh, was someone breaking into the house. Mm. And I always hid. I was I was just talking to somebody about this today, how I always hid in the laundry basket <laughs> or or behind a door. Yeah. And the way that you just described how you turn that into something positive is kind of what I've been working through my 26 years of life. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I always wondered, like, why? Why did I go and hide all the time when I could have? ran out yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know i i don't know um that's that's crazy to me and i i love the asking why i you know because i think about there's only one dream that's really stood out to me and it was a visitation mm -hmm. nothing was said it was right after my brother had died and it was in my bedroom where i was staying at at the time and he was i just remember this the room was very cluttered and i was just at the edge of my bed it's very strange like mm -hmm. i i feel like we have a lot of similarities with this um but he was at the edge of my bed and he just kind of rubbed my knee and mm. looked at me and smiled and he was wearing this shirt and um it was like a it was a shirt that he got from a music festival oh, okay. and that's I have only a couple things of his and that shirt is one of them and I like it's the only thing I can ever remember and it was so quick so quick and um that was the first positive dream that I had had and then you know of course it got worse after that but I'm still processing all my drama so <laughs> well, so um your multiple losses complicate the way one would grieve and so it's it's there's yeah. there's not like a uh, roadmap for you to be able to take. It's like you, you do the best you can and you work through the stuff that comes up. But I'm glad you had that very beautiful dream and said like, it's cool that his shirt meant something. Like what he was wearing meant something oh, to yeah. you. And that you actually had that yeah. shirt, yeah. It, it's, it, it, I love it. And sometimes I bring it out and um, I just, it's it was a really good experience, but I, I always want them to talk to me because I'm a talker. <laughs> And I'm like, can you just, t can you tell me like, hi, or, you know, whatever, but they just, whenever I have a meaningful dream of them, they never say anything. It's the emotion that comes out that mm. I feel. 
And um, that's what I take from it. And that's all that I can ask for. That's beautiful. And, um, I you you brought on someone on your show, um, Leslie Ellis. And she talked about how individual dreams, um, how people can, uh, how different things can be, um, can mean different things to individual people and how Google, you know, if you Google like what a river means in a dream, you know, you're going to get what someone else thinks yeah. is a river in someone's dream. And um, I think that is, I think that's really important. Um, to know and to be a little bit more aware of some of the things that could be a little bit more symbolic instead of, you know, what we think yeah. uh, this should be, you know, like what they're wearing or how they make you feel instead of, you know, the, the bed, the bedspread that I was laying on, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I think it's when we don't know much of how to work with dreams, we go to the bookstore, we go online and we get what people show us and a lot of times even if a bookstore you'll have like a dream dictionary on like what symbols mean but it's like as you're just talking about everyone's different and everyone's so unique that's why even with these grief dreams i can sort of see some patterns but there's so much in there that i don't know like how are you processing yeah. your grief and what's your relationship like like stuff i wouldn't know and also the big thing too with dreams is that it's a story usually it's not just a scene if you just had a dream of a flamingo okay maybe you could like figure out what a flamingo is. but no the flamingo is driving a car to the airport and like there's just like this whole scene it's going on yeah and so that's the but that's the way it's trying to communicate and i always say like dreams can be our best friends it can tell us the truth and but it uses a certain different type of language um than we're accustomed to and so we have to figure out what that language is and once you do it's your own language once you do your dreams will then start to morph to how you sort of seeing these dreams that's the other reason why if you start looking at like a dream dictionary, you don't know if that symbol is your symbol or it's a symbol you just read because your mind's trying to help you interpret the dream. So it's, it's one of those things that can complicate also what your symbols represent and moving forward. But yeah, I think it's a, you know, like when we talk about dreams, it's just such an important aspect of my life anyways. And a lot of people in the sense of the grieving process, but there are, you know, there is that thing that people do, it's called dream incubation that you may want to do it's a little fun activity that you could also try and so on mm -hmm. on my website there's um an exercise sheet so it's a grief dream builder and so what you can do is build a dream you'd want to have so you think to yourself what dream if i could tonight what would i want to actually have and so it allows you to sit down and just really think about the perfect dream on what that would be and what's interesting is yeah. that what i have found with you know, talking with people just by doing the exercise, it releases a lot because now you're really, you're bringing all the memories that you have of the person and all, and you're bringing in your grief story and you're saying, what would I want? What would be the most beautiful experience for me to have if I could? And, you know, with that, you can get your loved ones around to also do a certain exercise and then share because their dream that they want to have is going to be completely different than yours. And it really showcases also what we're each kind of longing for and how our relationships are a little bit different and how our like love language is a little bit different. And so mm -hmm. that's a beautiful experience. And one reason I did that because um, in grief groups, people didn't talk about these dreams and I want to find a way for people to be able to talk about these dreams, even if they didn't have one. And so that was a way to bring everyone back into the conversation. But um, on the other thing is that for the dream incubation part is that I actually looking at what you want to have. And if you think about it before bed, there may be a possibility you start getting those dreams, remembering those types of dreams. And we haven't actually looked at it through research when it comes to these types of dreams, like with the deceased. Hmm. But with other dreams, dream incubation has been seen to be effective. So if you go to bed like with a certain question or you go to bed with a certain kind of image that you want to dream about, like say going on vacation, people tend to have those types of dreams um, Right, like so that's kind of it's interesting how we can affect that um so it's one of those things that you could try to do to sort of see if you can help influence what dreams you do have um, of your brother of anyone that has died yeah. i just recently started having dreams about my mom she mm -hmm. she passed away last year and i feel like sometimes it it does take a little bit like you said um you know six months to a year in order to start having dreams yeah um i also feel like because of um maybe of them rusting i don't 
I don't know. I just try to make everything make sense in my brain. Um, <laughs> but yeah, my mom just started appearing. So I have dreams about everybody here and there. But yeah. uh, my brother is the one that, um, you know, losing a sibling is really hard. And um, but losing your whole family is harder. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want either of those. But uh, yeah, no, I see. I see your shirts. It's like, I love my brother. I think that's great. And it's beautiful. Oh, it's, yeah. it's a beautiful memory to sort of showcase to the world. Uh, yeah, it's I I love it, and now I get to have dreams with everybody in them, and I think you know it may not be a significant dream, but you know if my mom's upstairs in her bedroom and my dad's in the kitchen and my brother's listening to music and I'm just doing whatever, that's a good dream to me. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good dream to me, yeah. and um, I love it. And there's there's one thing that you talk about that I absolutely love is that you are pretty you're a pretty big advocate for uh you know talking about pets in your your dreams and uh pet loss and it's one of the most unfair things that we have to go through in life is losing a pet and you know i i've lost a few pets but they haven't been like in traumatic ways but I wanted to kind of talk a little bit more about that and why, um, kind of like, why was that significant to you to, to study more and talk yeah. about it more? So I had like friends that had lost some dogs, but when I've, when I talked to a lot of people, one of the main things that I've, I've seen was people would, um, they wouldn't value the grief of those who had a pet die. So if you look at a lot of the different bereavement programs that are around, it's all for human loss and about for humans that I guess made a pass yeah. for it. So one of them, so my heart goes out to those people who had an animal die because some animals are the closest thing in relationships that they've ever had. Um, yeah. And humans are just this very complicated relationship but with, with animals. They love you. Like for whatever you do, they're always going to forgive you. They're there. And, and there's a different type of bond that happens. And I want to, so in the research, I want to showcase how that was similar to a spousal or partner loss in the sense of the dreams and the, the grief. And in general, like you definitely see that they're very similar in, in ways people express their grief or, um, and also the dream themes that, that come. So it's, you tell it that the grief is real and that's really, really want to try to show it in my own, own way. And also with miscarriages, a lot of people, yeah. when they don't, have the child they would say oh you just have an, another one like they, they kind of downplay the impact of what that is but just by looking at the dreams you can see how significant that was for them and they have these dreams which is very unique because when i was looking at that i didn't think they would have dreams of the deceased but they have dreams of the child they've never seen before and i think that's phenomenal because it's not a memory it's something different it's something new it's something they haven't had yeah. so that's beautiful. So yeah, so those are the reasons why I tend to look at those disenfranchised griefs um, to try to raise awareness on that and really allow people who have had those experiences um, to then be able to share those and realize it is normal. And that, yeah, they, they get the short end of the stick a lot of times in society because there's no programs for them to go to. And hopefully that's changing as we move forward. I would love, really love to sort of see that um, change just because so many people have animals and so many people grieve those animals when they die. And a lot of times with kids, that's one of the first deaths they've experienced. And if we don't hold space for them in that time frame, well then it's going to be harder for them to do the things that you need to do when another loss, let's say a human loss happens, they've already developed these little coping skills and their behaviors have already changed. But if we can actually help them in the beginning to understand their emotions, learning different coping mechanisms, we can really help them in all areas of their life that we just aren't avoiding right now. So there's a couple of different reasons that sort of I kind of want to talk about the pet loss because it is something that impacts so many people and we can, do, we can just do a better job at it. I, I think that is incredible that you, I mean, you made a point that I didn't even think about that, you know, losing a pet can be a child's first loss. And I remember uh, when I lost my childhood pet, um, her name was Bonnie. Hmm. Um, what was it? I was heartbroken. What, what was Bonnie? Was she a dog or? Bonnie, yeah, she was a dog. Okay. She was a dog and she was she was a, a mother. She was a mother. And she, 
my parents felt safe enough to leave her um leave her home with us by ourselves because she she had a she was a um a little scotty dog mix so she looked like a pot belly pig <laughs> and she was so sweet but she had this deep vicious bark <laughs> and she I mean, she she loved me and she loved my brother. And um, when we lost her, I just remember like we lost her and that was it. No one talked about her. No one really cared. When I went to school, I was upset and everyone was like, what? It's just a dog. Yeah. And th- obviously that did not help me you in know. my process of grieving, <laughs> you know? <laughs> no. Um, but I love having dreams of... Uh, I also, after that, I got two poodles, two little brother and sister poodles. Uh-huh. And um, they they passed around the same time. And I love having dreams about all three of them together. Oh, no way. And, wow. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's incredible to be able to um, have these wonderful dreams with them. And, um, but also be able to kind of grieve them in a way that I wasn't able to when I was a child. Yeah. And I, I, you know, thank you for that because I think that is a wonderful first step in normalizing these conversations and normalizing what grief really is. Cause you know, I tell people all the time, um, there's a 100% chance that someone or, you know, something that you love is going to die. Mm-hmm. And so don't ever say like, I can't imagine, I can't imagine. Well, cause imagine it, cause it was going to happen. And I think having that conversation and having these, you know, stepping stones can really help us in this, this unimaginable time. And I just, the research you've done, the work you've done, the workshops that you do, I mean, it's, mwah, it's lovely. And I, I want to give everyone a chance to find you. So if you can go ahead and share, because um, you also have your own podcast, may I add. So um, I want to give you a chance to kind of boost yourself up and let everyone uh, find you and your research. Well, first of all, thank you for the kind words. It's always said it's it's amazing to realize you're making an impact in the world. It's mm-hmm. It, it's funny, like grief change, changes sort of your direction, your focus, and to be able to look back and be able to see like what was done with that experience, um, that it almost like it wasn't for nothing in a way. Like there's actually a lot of good that came from yeah. working working through the grief, but also then, you know, doing the research. It's just, it's amazing to hear and, and just re- remind myself that, you know, the, what I'm doing, it is something. and. Um, yes. And to, to sit with that, so I just want to thank you for acknowledging that. It's, it means a lot to me. And so, if people want to find me, um, they can go to griefdreams.ca. A lot of information on the topic is on there. You can go to the Grief Dreams podcast, which is you can find it probably anywhere you listen to podcasts. And then <laughs> I'm pretty active on um, Instagram, so you can go to the uh, at Grief Dreams there. So yeah, th- those are the places that I'm mainly on. So yeah, feel free to reach out if you if you want to. Um, and hopefully people have, you know, this sparks or triggers some really beautiful and positive dreams. I, I do want to sort of quickly mention, it's interesting you had like these very positive dreams of your dogs, but then you had a negative dream of your brother. Um, it kind of showcases the differences in, in how your mind's processing these different types of losses. Yeah. Um, me and my brother had a, a, a difficult relationship up until about four years uh, before he passed mm. so kind of I, I can relate to your story so much because um, I feel like I I was very um, I wasn't trusting with people mm. um, like I told you in the beginning I was called sensitive and weak and yeah. cry baby all these fun things so yeah. I was very um, distrusting of people um, even my loved ones up until well they're probably saying it too right <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you gotta love them. Um, But I wasn't able to really have a relationship with them up until a few years before they passed. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm thankful. 
I'm thankful for them. But, uh, you know, it's a lot to process. It's a lot to process. Uh, you know, I also like to mention, you know, when you're grieving, whatever feels good, you kind of hold on to it. Unless it's hurting you or hurting other people, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you hold on to it. And, um, you know, these dreams can be very intimate for us. And um, to have someone who has really taken the time to put in the time and work and effort and research to help us understand and process, I mean... I can't thank you enough. It's, it's, this is me personally speaking, um, just to be able to find you that there was somebody out there that really studied grief dreams. It, um, you are definitely like a top in my book. (laughs) Ah, well, I appreciate that. It means a lot. And say like, you're doing the same thing I'm doing in the sense, just trying to raise awareness. And we have our unique niches and aspects of our own lives. And we just hope that, you know, we can, utilize these moments to help others make their lives a little bit easier so they can then um, work through their grief to be that support for other people in their lives that's all we sort of we do right it's just really trying to we're learning about love and the different ways of love and and spreading awareness and raising awareness is an aspect of love and so it's just getting back to that because with grief it tends to want us to close our hearts because it's so painful um, but yeah. what you're doing and what you're bringing on guests and talking about is you're opening your heart again. And I think that's a more beautiful quality is that like, even through all the suffering, you're still saying, I know I, I want to open my heart again. And like that in itself, it takes courage. It takes dedication. And it just takes that you have a, a spot in you that just doesn't want to quit and doesn't want to you know give up. And so at the end of the day, it's just, you're continuing to learn to love. I'm continuing to learn to love. And we're just trying to like make this world a better place. So I appreciate for what you're doing and and who you are. Oh, uh, that means so much. (laughs) There you are in the great wide open when you hear it. Dinner time. When you're hungry, you're not going to let 5,000 feet of mountain get in your way. And if they try, that's what Kia's lineup of exceptionally capable SUVs with available all-wheel drive is for. The Telluride, Sorento, Sportage, and Seltos are how you know we take this pretty seriously. The SUVs and the dinner. Hurry into your local Kia dealer today. Kia, movement that inspires. Visit Kia.com for details. Always drive safely. Ask Sherwin-Williams during the Endless Summer Sale, August 26th through September 5th, and get 30% off paints and stains with prices starting at $29.39. That means 30% off our most popular color family, blue. Psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And of course, 30% off all of our other colors. Shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details.